I'm going to put you on the spot, and Rachel, you can sit there and listen, uh, and we can do a short little happy birthday to join in to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Rachel. Happy birthday to you. Thank now, you. You're all tuning out right now because we're terrible singers probably, <laughs> but Rachel is celebrating her 11th year in recovery. Yes, thank oh, you. you know. That was so sweet. Thank you. See, I remembered. I was like, who are we singing to? <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't rehearse this, or obviously we didn't rehearse it, but... Uh, uh, so Rachel didn't know we were going to sing to her, but I happen Thank to know you. that you're, you've recently had mm -hmm. your recovery birthday. So yeah. Thank you. And that people, means a lot. People don't realize what a, I mean, that may not sound like a big deal to somebody who doesn't understand addiction, but 11 years is yeah, a long, long time. It is. It is. Uh, from my experience, we have to work on this every day, or I have to work on it every day. And so I've been doing it for 11 years, and I'm still doing the same things. And so it does take a lot of work. It's way more rewarding, but there is a lot of work that goes into it. So being recognized, and it also empowers me, like, hey, I can do this. I am worth it. And and uh, and we, we, I think most people in recovery do recognize their their birthdays, I, yeah. I, I think. And, and what you may not understand is uh, Rachel is still an addict in recovery. I am mm -hmm. an alcoholic in recovery, and it's a lifelong complicated disease yeah. that's never going to go away. So yeah. if, you, if you happen to dabble in the stuff again, you yeah. would instantly probably start, you know, it'd be a a severe thing. Yeah, I think like the the more um, recovery time you have, the different types of challenges you have. So today, mine's more emotional. I have to work on my spirituality or my emotional, or eventually I will end up back there right. because that's a solution to my problems in my head is going to be the, the heroin, right? And yeah. I know that it's not. And so if I don't keep these other things in check, that's exactly where I'm going to end up again. So now we'll start out with our real intro and say welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. <laughs> I'm Randall Carlisle along with Rachel Santizo, my co-host, and our guest today is Morgan Farr. Welcome. Welcome, Morgan. See, you didn't know you were going to have to sing right off the beginning either, did you? You know what? Surprises are always fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like That's that. a good way to, to look at it. Um, Morgan uh, was recommended for this podcast by a therapist in our CATS program, which is a program mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that Odyssey House runs in the Salt Lake County Jail. Yes. And you are a proud graduate of that program. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So, uh, and how we'll celebrate your birthday too. How long? Uh, in May will be two years. All right. That's a big Congrats. deal. It is a huge deal. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. So tell us a little about uh, how you're, we'll get into the good part about what you're doing now and everything, but let's just uh, talk about your how your addiction began and, and the, the long and winding road you took. Uh, okay, so uh, started at 13, drinking uh, very, very heavily at 13. That's when I started. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, so. We're brothers in alcohol at 13. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, just uh, 13, you know, having a, I had some trauma when I was younger that uh, 
I didn't didn't cope with, didn't know how to cope with it. And as soon as I found substance at that age, like it was just like perfect. Like that's that's my release. That's what I want to do to help me not care about that, to just kind of ease that pain I felt inside. It made life okay. Or it, it seemed like it. It made it easier to survive. Okay. As I as I like to classify it, because uh, you know, I wasn't I didn't feel like I was living. I was just surviving at those times for a long time just trying to make it by just anything to get through the day and uh basically any anything that came my way like all right you got it i want it let's do it like that's kind of kind of how my attitude was uh the only thing i didn't dabble in was heroin because i had seen how it's affected some of the people in my life some of my family members so i didn't i just like that one scared me enough to keep me away seeing it in person so isn't that strange how uh, how people in addiction look at various substances? You know, heroin scared you. You liked heroin, mm-hmm. but yeah. before you but before you did the needle, you were you were cautious about that too, weren't you? Oh yeah, for sure. And I, it's also interesting when you're on the streets and using, you get judged for the different drugs you use or the way that you use drugs. Oh, you're only. Uh, uh, only, math. Yeah. You only use math or like heroin because I use the needle. And so people that smoked heroin judged me because I use the needle. You're bad. Yeah. So it's so <laughs> interesting. Can never win. So, okay. So you stayed away from heroin, but not anything else. Nope. And anything and everything else that came in contact with me, I was, I was going to do it. Uh, and that, I lived that lifestyle all the way up until I was 29. So... 16 years. Mm-hmm. See, I can still do math. I know. I'm Even glad though I destroyed some brain cells with my booze. Ah, that yeah. took me a minute. So at 29, what happened? Uh, I went to jail for the second, for the, well, for the fifth or sixth time. On what charges? Uh, so I am obviously a felon. So any kind of weapons, I, I went to jail okay. for weapons charges. Okay. I was one of those people that carried a weapon with me. Mm. doing bad things yeah uh making bad choices hurting people doing stuff like that uh just wanting to scorch the earth after you know just how i felt inside like i was mad really hateful person for a long time like just wanted to scorch scorch the earth anywhere i went that's what kind of what i wanted to do why were you so angry uh just just with some things that i've had to go through um when i was really young my mom was wrongly convicted and she went to prison. Mm-hmm. I lost my mom. So I, that, like at three years old, whoa, my whole wow. world turned upside down. Uh, and it, it really shook me. You know, I didn't know how to cope with something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, carry, carried that one. So you hated the system already. Yeah, right? I absolutely hated the system. Didn't believe in it. And then uh, getting to my 20s, I get with a girl. Uh, I accidentally get her pregnant. And she decides to abort the child against what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, um, kind of did, did me dirty. We went behind my back after we had discussed co-parenting. And we had decided that. And she just did what she felt was right without, you know, consideration to me. Uh, and that hurt. That one, that one hurt me really, really bad. And that's when I really went off the deep end. So you wanted to be a dad at that time? Um, or... Or you were willing to be I was dad. willing to. I uh I really I really was for her choice all the way up until 
it was in my life and it was in my lap. Like, here you go. How are you going to handle that? And uh, I remember I spent hours talking myself into like, no, you got to be a good person. You got to do the right thing. Like, you can't be that guy. And, uh, you know, I felt like it blew up in my face. So, you know, I was mad. I wanted, I wanted to scorch the earth after that. So you were angry at the system for what happened to your mom, at your girlfriend for getting an abortion, and you just kept going for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a long time. Because that was, I think, that's when I got into meth really heavy. Like, everyday user kind of person that carries an ounce in their pocket and a pipe and a lighter like anywhere they went work family stuff like just so I always had my escape route in my pocket how I would look because if you always have like an ounce in your pocket and you always because I would run out and withdraw but if you're if you were out there doing that like how did you always stay up uh crime I had an or go to work you know functioning addict as they Kid, call it yeah um not i mean you can you can function and go to work but you don't function mentally you yeah know, you don't function emotionally yeah. um so like that's it's easy to get up and just go to a dead a dead-end job you know i used, I used to work in a print shop and print t-shirts and that's just as simple as pushing a button and loading a shirt you know like it's and that's as long as you just show up you get a paycheck and that's how you that's how i kept my addiction handled oh so good so after so you're going through this and then so you hate this system but now you're in this system repeatedly Mm -hmm. what shifted or what changed or what did that feel like uh i saw the first the first couple times you know i i went in they failed the file on me so i got lucky got out you know and i immediately went home got high you know just just went right back into it like you get out of the pool Ah, nice little break. Then you jump headfirst right back in. Yeah, you're like, I'm invincible. You know? That's how I would go. And, uh, <laughs> Paperwork here. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, and and then, you know, when I, after that, I, I went on the run. So then yeah. I couldn't really work. So that's when the crime starts coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, spent five years on the run from federal marshals. Wow. Dang, that's a, that's a good run. Yeah. A, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a good run. It was just, you know. It must have been elusive. No, if you if you know they're looking for you, you just don't, don't take unnecessary risk. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I had to make a choice on whether I wanted to go handle it or if I was going to keep living this lifestyle. And, you know, my mom kind of talked me into it. My sweet mother. I love that woman. She, uh. She really, really supported and loved me through it. You know, she didn't force nothing on me because I think she knew, like, if I wasn't ready to do it, it's not going to happen. Is she out by this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she got she got out when I was seven. So if she's been around for a minute. It was just me, me taking it personal and not oh, dealing yeah. with it. You know, she she moved fine. Oh, she moved past everything just fine. Uh, she she's been clean for thirty something years. You know? Wow. She, yeah, she's she's a real trooper and. uh you know, I I remember one of the last last conversations we had before I decided, like I was just screaming at my mom, just giving her giving it to her because I was mad and I was high and just I'm I'm a mess. And she just, you know, I love you. It's gonna be all right. I'm like, okay. And so I get, get myself turned in and voluntarily. Yeah. You know, and uh 
What'd you say when you, I, that's, that's scary. You just walked into. Well, I, I, so I had been on the run for so long that I actually had to personally call my judge because my judge, my case had changed judges. My judge had retired. I had to personally call her on her phone and get on her, on her docket. And what'd you say to her? I want to. Like, I, I need to get on your docket. You know, this is what, uh, this is what I need to do. And, you know, she was, obviously she was skeptical, but she put me on, she put me on the docket. And then after that, you just go into the jail. Obviously I have outstanding warrants. It's pretty easy to get booked in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Prove to us that you should be in jail. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, so I go, I do four months. They they tell me I need to go to treatment and uh, I got out and I'm just like, head first right back into it because I, I really wasn't ready to get clean so uh you know I'm, on pro- I'm obviously on probation for 18 months unsuccessful uh still getting high every day but i go and check in at least you know didn't your uas come up dirty i didn't take them i just told them i was going to be dirty Oh, and they uh, oh, they gave they gave, they gave me enough wiggle room that i did 18 months just being honest uh, eventually my PO said, no, I don't, I, you're not doing anything for yourself. It's time to go back. Mm-hmm. So he violates me. Of course, you know, he searches my car. There's a bunch of new charges because of everything I have in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my judge is not happy. <laughs> she, you know, she, she gave me the chance to get it together on my own. And I basically just crumpled that up and threw that away. And so now it's time to do it her way. Mm-hmm. Um, so she leaves, puts me in jail, gives me eight months total time. Uh, plus she wants a cat certificate. Um, you know, and I'm upset, you know, sitting in jail for eight months. It's not fun. What, what am I doing? This doesn't work, you know? And my mom gave me the greatest advice for me at the time that I needed. She said, don't let your time be for nothing. You know, if you're going to have to do it, make sure you do something with your time. Okay. And so I gave it a chance. I gave treatment a chance. And when I went into CATS, like... Explain to our our listeners and viewers what CATS is. uh, Correction Addiction Treatment Services. Services. So when you are in jail, it is a correctional program for addiction treatment. Okay. And 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 you're in you're in your own pod. You're not in general population. You're in your own pod with other people in the Cats program, which is run by Odyssey House, uh, and it's basically sort of like Odyssey's residential program, except you can't leave. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> right. Like three months mini mm-hmm. Odyssey yeah. House. Okay, mm-hmm. so go ahead. I didn't. Um, so uh, I, I get in there and. You know, I'm emotionally and mentally, I'm lost. You know, I'm I'm still stuck in the past with all my trauma, trauma and things I'm holding on to. And you know, of course, that affects you mentally as a person. Like you don't, you don't. I didn't feel worth it. Mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't be loved. Like uh, I just, I just wasn't worthy of anything like that. Even though you know, I had love. I had people that loved me, and I knew that, but I didn't feel like I was worthy of any of that. So I get to cats and the unconditional love that I was given by those facilitators 
helped me move forward with my life. Taking that those baby steps, just having someone stand beside me through that journey is what gave me enough hope and motivation to get going. Wow. Yeah. That's all it took is the feeling of <clears throat> somebody caring and, and loving. Well, no. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into recovery, but that was enough to help me. So you weren't just to totally do. compliant saying, oh, okay, I'm fine now. Okay. No, no, it's not that easy. If it was that easy, it, it wouldn't be worth it. It wouldn't be as worth <laughs> yeah. it to people, you know. Um, so. But they they helped me find my own path through this. You know, they helped just stand beside me and, you know, give me give me some guidance, put some wind in my sails, and we're here if you need us, you know. And uh, it was great. You know, it, finding my own pathway through this has made my recovery mean so much to me you know and i just you know so, so i got into helping others so that's why i end up going to seventh street i'm working on getting my peer support specialist right now so you're you're working at seventh street yes i am yeah which is another treatment facility uh and so when you completed CATS, which is a three-month program, did you automatically get out then, or what I happened? Had, I had to sit and wait. My my judge mm -hmm. was very nice and let me sit and wait. She uh, took like a month to sign my certificate. Well, she did yeah. it her way. Her way. I did it my way. <laughs> and, you know, but it, it was all right because, you know, it, it gave me some extra time in there to make sure I was ready. Cause you know you get you get out you walk down that ramp and you're free like you i can i can go dip right back into what i was doing sure. if i choose to and uh you know i so i went back to general population for about a month and people you know people think jail is very locked down but there's there's drugs in jail mm -hmm. so i get back to general population and first first cell i go into hey man you just finished cats you want to you want to celebrate? And I'm like, horrible. you know, like, uh, and I, I mean, that was my choice. My drug of choice was right there in front of me. Um, and I told him, no, I told him, thanks, but no, you know, because I want, I wanted to try something different because what I was doing wasn't working. Good for you. When you walk down that ramp, like what was the different feeling? What made you go right instead of left this time? Like you've been going left so many times. Like what was that thought? For me, it was my mom. You know, we've we've already been through so much between me doing my thing and what she had to go through, um, and I just didn't I didn't want to keep doing that to my mom, and that uh, that that was enough to like give me that motivation. Like let's let's try something different because this obviously doesn't work. I can do I know this circle right in and out. Like I know how it goes. I know exactly how what I'm what I need to do to make it in this circle, but I don't like this. So what did you do to change that circle? Because now, so you did the program, and now you're starting completely over. Like, how did you stay connected or get into Seventh Street? Um, like, what shifted for you? Uh, so Seventh Street was what I wanted to do before I was sentenced to Cats. Okay. You know, I thought like I'm gonna be sly. I'm gonna just pick pick my own treatment center. She'll send me because I have it lined up. And it didn't work out. She told me, you can go there when you're done. You can go. You, she, she gave me that option. She said, you can go to your treatment center when you're done with your with what I want you to do. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and of course, you know, cats, they 
wanted me to go to Odyssey, mm-hmm. but you know, some something in me just wanted to go to Seventh Street, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's the way that they do things over there. They're a real tight knit community, mm-hmm. and that's what I needed at the time. You know, it's something just guided me there. I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Intuition, God, you know. I needed to be there. That's what I needed at my time in my recovery. I needed connection. I needed, mm. I needed to learn how to, to love people and be loved because I spent my whole life mm. in hate. So you went. So when you left, you continued on treatment. You went to Seventh Street at first for treatment. Mm-hmm. So inpatient or outpatient? Uh, inpatient. Okay. And now and, you're working there. So I did. I did inpatient and outpatient at Seventh Street, and now yes, I work there as night staff. Nice. Um, Good for you. Yeah. Talk about I, Rachel and I talk about this all the time. I think most most people in recovery would agree that giving back or providing service or whatever is really important. How does that affect you in terms of keeping you on the right path? Um. Well, I know I know how hard it is to be where they're at. You know, it's it's not. I know I know the suffering that they're feeling internally. And I just want, I want people to know that there's hope. They, they, like, if you put your mind to it, you can get through it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be work. You have to put in the work. And you have to want it. And you have to want it. I mean, you can, you can white knuckle it. People do. I see it all the time. Sure. People white knuckle through because they're court ordered. But, you know, I, th- I think the big thing that it boils down to is people are scared of something they don't know when you're in this kind of lifestyle for so long, like you don't know anything about living a normal life or functioning normally. And you can go get up and go to work, but you can't like, how do you, you know how to process things in a healthy way? Do you know how to healthily handle certain situations? Like it's a, it's a big, big thing to overcome. Sure. You know, Um, so you have to put in the work for that. You have to want it, but you, you gotta have people there to give you that hope, I feel like. And I just want I just want people to find what I found and know that it is achievable no matter how bad it is. One of our, uh, the person who recommended uh, you for this podcast, uh, I, I love her, you must love her too. I absolutely adore that woman. It's Leanne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we've had her on a podcast before. Uh, and, and she spoke so highly of you. Uh, and it shows how, like, connection with someone in a program, it can be cats, it can be Seventh Street, doesn't matter, but connection like that makes a difference to somebody in recovery. It makes a huge difference. You know, when you're, when you feel like you're at rock bottom, you feel like you don't have anybody, you don't have anything. You know, a lot of us in recovery, including myself, uh, burned a lot of bridges we've burned no kidding <laughs> yeah burned a lot of bridges burned a lot of people um by our choices and our actions yeah. you know uh having that feels unobtainable for a lot of people after what we ch- what we've chosen to do um but it is obtainable there's you you have to make that change and show up for the people and show up for the ones that are going to show up for you and you can build stuff you can there are possibilities of rebuilding things. How's your relationship with your mom? I love my mom. Uh, 
you know, she's... I'm sure she'll be watching or listening to absolutely, this. Absolutely. <laughs> and she, saying, that's my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it took some work to repair things, you know, uh, being consistent, you know, sticking to your guns about about the change and just showing people. Some people want to see some time, you know. They don't, you can say I'm changed, but you got to prove it. And so, so other people believe you mm-hmm. because you may have said that a million times. Mm-hmm. And this seems like a, a love conquers all. Like people showing up and consistently showing up and showing you love. It's like when you do the, the parents group, you know, the family group, like yeah. what, what approach helped and it feels like love conquers all in your story. That's what I it agree. feels like. I agree. I think I think love is the center of my story, with conquering with uh, what I needed to learn, how I for yourself, for, for like yeah, all of it. Mm-hmm. And I and, love that. And I I can say, uh, my mom loved me the whole time I was a functional alcoholic, mm-hmm. uh, but she's so happy that I've been in recovery, uh, and then that makes me feel good because I made my mom feel good. Yep. I mean, it's like a circular yep. thing of love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's a great feeling. Uh, I wouldn't give up what I've gained from my recovery, like, and I think that's what helps keep me sober. Is that giving it up, giving up what I've gained? Just I can't fathom doing something like that. The strength you showed when you got out of cats and had to go back into general population, and somebody offers you meth, right there, and you say no. That that was was that incredibly hard, or or was it easy? Uh, you know, I thought it was going to be hard, but when, I think when you really deep down make that choice that you're done, it, it's fairly simple. I have a random question. Um, what is something that you do for yourself? So you've been around and in recovery mm-hmm. um, and you work in recovery. So what's something personally like? Who are you now that you found yourself? Uh, you, you know, I struggled with that for a while uh, when I did have some thoughts of relapse and stuff like what like what's my purpose what am I doing you know I've got I get through all my treatment and I'm like well now what you know <laughs> um, great question <laughs> I mean and it's, it's a question you're gonna have to face and uh, I was super blessed that I had gotten through it I get to pick whatever I want to be so that's why I chose like I want to get into employment and recovery I want to help others find what I found uh, and I just want to rebuild my life. So that's kind of where I started, started rebuilding my life. Got, I, I got, got with a nice girl after about a year, a year of being out, you know, started building that life, getting a house, getting a job. Um, and I, so what I do to take care of myself is, you know, I don't, I, I try not to take things home with me that are work related. It's hard, it's hard to split that world off, but sure. I think you come to the realization I can't save anybody. The only thing I can do is stand beside them and, you know, give them some wind in their sails, get them pumped and, and send them out. And, you know, and if, you know, and I, I see it, I have, I have people come back from 7th Street that I was in treatment with. We were in the same groups going through the same program and now I'm working there and I see them come back. People I've seen off once or twice, they come back, you know, and I get to have really good conversations of okay, well, what didn't work? What did work? What are we going to do different this time? How how can we how can we get you motivated again? 
So well, I'm really proud of you. You replaced like this lifetime of hatred for love. And I that's incredible. That's an entire shift. It's like letting your guard down and showing the pain so that now you can love. And it sounds like you give a lot. One of the points of this podcast really is to provide if 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 you have someone you love who's who's dealing with addiction or you are, uh, or even if you're not, you're just curious. Uh, to understand how it works is there's there's always hope. Right. I mean, unless you're dead, there's always hope, right? Yeah, there's always right. hope. You know, uh, we and I mean, somebody at the at the point like say in your mid twenties, uh, when you were so angry and doing all the crap you were doing, I'm sure there were people who said <laughs> he's he's incorrigible. He can't. He, there's no hope for this guy. Oh yeah, I had uh, I had some dear. People very dear to me give up on me uh, for a long time, and that that was that was hard pill to swallow, you know. And that just kind of when you once when you realize it and you're in your addiction, like that just feeds that fire to you. Just like, all right, well, I'm useless. Yeah, you nobody know, loves me. Yeah, I you know. might as well. <laughs> but those people, I have good relationships with today. You know, that's great. Yeah, it's it is. I mean, it takes work from both people, but things are rebuildable. And I feel like when you're uh, genuine and you have some integrity and you really buckle down, it, things are rebuildable. You've done a great job with that. You did a great job on the podcast as well. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you for thank you for having yeah. me. Sharing your story of of love yeah. is what that's, I guess we could call it that. Yeah, something cool. to always remember. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Happy birthday, Rachel. Happy birthday. Thank you. And thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals.